Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I want to jump in this morning. If you have a Bible, grab, grab, go to Ruth. We're in the book of Ruth. We're going to go to chapter 2 this morning. And uh, I'm pumped, man. I, just, I know God's working in and through this message this morning. I'm excited to dive into this. It's really cool that the ladies are going through this on Tuesday nights. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm really excited. Um, travel back even before that picture where I was a senior and uh, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Okay. I grew up, my, both my parents were extreme alcoholics until I was about nine years old. And, and uh, my dad, who's still alive, he's been sober for over 30 years, which is incredible. And uh, here's what, yeah, here's what happened. Um, he had this favorite place to go and he loved eating there. And I did too. And some of you uh, will remember the place and it was called tequila berries. And it, yeah, wow, you guys been around a long time. So I told Derek about it. And he's like, what is a tequila? That's the weirdest name I've ever heard. Hey, it's, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, preteens, that's what happens. And, uh, he's going to kill me. And, uh, the, uh, I remember sitting there, we go to the Sunday brunch. I remember their Sunday brunch. It was so good. Like all you can eat. And, and they had these chocolate covered strawberries that were so good. I remember sitting down, they had all you can eat peel and eat shrimp. And, uh, this is why I look the way I do. My wife looks the way she does. And, uh, um, larger and skinnier is what I meant by that. So, and, uh, you guys got to wake up this morning, man. Wow. Wow. Tough crowd. And, uh, here, here's what happened. I'm sitting there. My dad's across from me. And uh, I, I get, and he always ordered for me my famous drink of choice, Shirley Temple. So good. Kitty cocktail. Now when I go in to a restaurant and I order it, I have to sound like I'm more grown up. So what, what I'll do is I'll say, yeah, can I just get some Sprite with a little grenadine? And, and she's like, you mean a Shirley Temple? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's what I mean. So good. And, uh, and how many, if you like Shirley, you got to have the cherries, right? You got to, you know. Those natural colored maraschino cherries that grow on a tree. So they glow. And uh, anyway, I'm sitting there with my dad. And my sister's with me. She's two and a half years younger. And I'm looking over at my dad. And he orders his drink of choice. And his drink of choice in the day was peppermint schnapps on the rocks. That, that was his, his drink. And it just it smelled like, like rotten candy canes is all I remember. And, and he, I remember sitting there. And he would drink. And he would drink. And, and I'm going, I got to ride home with this guy. You know, and like he's, he's wasted. And I'm going, I... I'm like eight or nine. There's nothing I can do. It's completely out of my control. And I'm going, I don't know how, what this is, what's going to happen. And I remember a couple times before he sobered up where he drank and, and I got, I got really scared. I got really nervous. And I'm like, you know, now let me just say this really quick to anybody here. If, if you drink, I, I could care less if you drink. I, you know, I, I, you know, some people are social drinkers, have a drink or two there. My, my dad couldn't do that. My dad was, when he had one, he had 15. And so, you know, he knew that. And I remember watching that as a kid. Well, then these things got spoken over me, and I hated it. My, you know, what would happen is they say, "Well, you're now an alcoholic," is what I was told, even though I'd never, you know, had any type of liquor at all. And I'm like, "Well, how, well, you have alcoholic tendencies," and so I had to go with my dad to these meetings called AA Al-Anon. They were called Alatine, fancy name for teenagers. And so I went to Alatine, and I'm sitting in there, and and I hated it, man. All I mean, it was like. Some of these kids were messed up, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know that I've this messed up, and I'm going, I've never drank, and they're like talking about stealing liquor out of their parents' cabinets and all of this, and and finally they get to the end of the night, and they're like, well, we want to teach you a prayer, 
And I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. And, you know, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't give my life to Christ till I was 17. And we're sitting in this, you know, little meeting. And they said, here's how the prayer goes. And it, and it, it goes like this. And this is a prayer that I, I love to this day. And it goes, God, grant me the serenity, say it if you know it, to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I'm like, wow, that's like, there's like some serious truth in that prayer. It's really good. And I realized at an early age with my dad, and my mom, I, I don't know about you, but you don't get to pick your parents, right? Did you pick yours? Did you pick the family you grew up with, you know? I mean, come on. Did you pick your spouse? Yes. Careful, 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 okay? I've actually loved that prayer. And somebody eventually asked me, they said, Chris, when you go back and, and you look at those situations that you grew up in, can you see God in every situation? Some of you, I know some of your background. Some of them are really tough. My prayer would be this. Right now and in the past, can you see God in that situation? And at first I was like, no, I hated going there. I didn't like it. And now I look back and I go, you know what? I can totally see God just wrapping his loving arms around me during that time. And that's my prayer for so many of you this morning. Here's what I want to do. I want to recap chapter one of Ruth. And we're going to tie all this together with chapter two. And we'll bring it to a close here in about 20 minutes. Here's the deal. Ruth chapter one, if you missed it, we did this two weeks ago. You can go back, watch it on a Facebook Live, or you can listen to it on the podcast. Here's the deal. Ruth chapter one, there's this incredible woman named Naomi. She's a Jew. She's in Bethlehem. And she marries kind of just a dingbat dude. His name's Elimelech, okay? And dingbat, that's my version. That's not biblical, all right? And so his name's Elimelech. And they go, and he's like, I'm going to take you to this awesome land, even though they're in the promised land. He's like, I'm going to take you out, and we're going to go to this land called Moab. Well, they eventually they have two sons before they go, and so their entire family, they pack up, and they head across the desert into the land of Moab. They get to Moab, and the two boys, they find two Moabite women. Now, Moabite women were known for being very attractive women, and so, you know, they find these two gorgeous women. One was named Ruth. One was named Orpah. They marry. They got this incredible family going on, and while she's there, man, like, just complete hell showed up. All right, her, her husband, Elimelech, he passes away. She's in a land she doesn't know, and she's going, what do I do? And then her two sons pass away, and so she is left with just Ruth and Orpah. And if you were here two weeks ago, you know what happens? They, you know, She says to Ruth and Orpah, hey, you guys go back to your Moabite clan. I'm going to go back to my clan. I'm a Jew. I'm going back to Bethlehem of, of Israel. That's where I'm headed. And, and she says, you guys stay here. And Orpah finally caves and says, yeah, I'm going to stay with my people, the, you know, the Moabites who I know. And Ruth says, no, no, wherever you go, I will go. And whoever your God is will be my God. And so Ruth says, with you, Naomi, I'm going to go back. And so these two single women, you know, widowed women now, they get together and they start making this journey across this desert by themselves. These are brave women, okay? Like together. And so mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, they don't kill each other. I mean, they're like, this is amazing. That's a miracle in itself. Come on, somebody, amen, you know? And, and, and they go across the desert and they get back to their homeland. And so, well, excuse me, Naomi's homeland, not Ruth's. So then we pick up the story here in chapter 2. At the end of chapter 1, it says they actually got back during harvest time of barley. Now, who here is just so excited when it's the barley harvest? Yes! Uh, no, I don't think any of us here care. You know, I like barley, but I'm not like, yes, the barley harvest! Well, this was so excited because they're without food and Bethlehem had been without food, even though Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And they get back here, and they're like, what do we do? Well, they find this field. And so they go to this field, and they start gleaning. They start taking some of the crop, you know, and, and they start 
taking it for themselves. Okay, they were the marginalized, and every farmer in that day, according to biblical standards, if you were an Israelite farmer or a Jewish farmer, you left some of the margins for the marginalized. And so they laid out all this grain for people who were poor to pick up a portion of it. It was part of their tithe. In fact, you know, we talk about the tithe today. Heather received a tithe, and, and we received an offering here a little bit ago, and we, we teach in the New Testament it's 10%. In the Old Testament, it's 27%. And so part of that was, you know, to the marginalized. Some was to the priests. Well, Ruth and Naomi, they show up, and they start gleaning. They start taking some of this. And the man who owns the field comes down and sees him, and, or he's told that, hey, we think this is Ruth. We think she's related to Naomi somehow. They're here. They're taking some of your grain. You better come. And he's like, whoa, what's going on? And he sees Ruth. Uh-oh. And Boaz, like, just falls in love, okay? Now, it doesn't really say that in chapter 2. We'll learn about that next week, chapter 3 and chapter 4. But he's, like, head over and heels. Remember, she's she's cute, okay? And so she he finds her, and he does all this stuff. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He talks to his guys in the field. He's like, don't you dare lay a hand on her. He's like, I don't want you to touch her. She is She's mine, you know? Like, otherwise, you're not going to have a job because I'm going to take you outside behind the shed if you do anything to her, okay? That's my paraphrase. And, uh, you know, what happens is... They're allowed to take everything they need, all the grain, all the food. And remember, it had been a time of famine, and now they're supplied with everything that they need. In fact, he's protecting her. He's blessing her. And he just thinks the world of her. And he says to her, don't you dare go to any other farmer. You just stay here in my land, and I will provide everything. She didn't do anything to deserve that. She didn't do anything to earn it. And yet Boaz showed Ruth this incredible grace as what we know as what we learn is called either a guardian redeemer or a kinsman redeemer in chapter two and we'll unpack that in the next couple weeks because that's a huge thing of what this whole scripture means and so i just wanted to give you a little bit of history without reading verse by verse but let me say this this morning there are countless applications within this book especially the book of ruth chapter two and, and very, there, there's very uh, few in this chapter that we have to grasp onto to realize what the scripture is teaching us and then to realize how it applies to our life, you know, thousands, about 3,000 years later. So the first of all is this. Number one is this. God's favor goes beyond Israel. Every single one of us, if we understand what that means, should say amen. Okay? Because unless you have Jewish, in, you know, Israel in your blood... You and I are saved, really, by the grace of God. You see, because what happened is Boaz is a shadow of Christ. That's, that's really what he is, and I'll, I'll explain that here as we go. Um, uh, here's, here's what it means. It says that in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10, it says, At this, and this is Ruth, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. A foreigner, okay? You got to realize what's happening here because we don't just get it for face value. You see, bowing down in the Hebrew actually means to die, okay? It means like, I will die before you. I will lay it all down. I will surrender everything to follow you. Anybody read that in the New Testament or feel like that's what God calls us to do today when we accept Christ? We're to lay our lives down. It's the same thing. Yet there's this great chasm that we see crossed right here where it shows God cares for both, not only the Jews, but if you remember, the Moabites came from a family of incest. And they're showing right here that here's, here's Ruth, this Moabite woman, and God said, I'll redeem her too. I'm going to redeem 
Every single one of you here this morning at the Bridge Church, that's what God is saying. That's what he's saying. You know what? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to have it all together. Amen? I don't have to have it all together. Because guess what, guys? Myself and you, we're all foreigners to God. Every single one of us, until we believe in Jesus. And then we're adopted by, as sons and daughters to him. Okay? Number two, the whole story is a shadow or a prophetic voice in the Old Testament of us, you and me, being like Ruth and Boaz being like Christ. He's that type of Christ. We're going to unpack that the next couple weeks. But his name literally means strength from within. That's Boaz. I mean, this is like knight in shining armor. In fact, the NIV says he was a, uh, a man of well standing, while other translations say he was like really well-to-do, really wealthy and well-off. And unlike last uh, two weeks ago, we talked about Elimelech. You remember I scared all the guys. I had all the guys stand that week, and, and I prayed over you. And some of you still need to stand again because you are called to be the spiritual head of your household. That is your calling. That's what God has for you. But we looked at Elimelech and really, you know, the guy was a jerkwad, okay? Like, don't be like him. Hey, my family's in the promised land. I'm going to take him somewhere else. What an idiot. Okay, seriously. Now we look at Boaz. If you're going, well, who should I be like? Elimelech, Boaz, Boaz. Okay. Be like Boaz. Boaz had it to get, man, Boaz is what the women wanted. He was incredible. He had the heart of a father. He loved it. He cared for the safety of others. He looked out for Ruth. Even this Moabite woman who came across 50, you know, 50 miles from the desert land, he cared about his mother-in-law. He, he also set great boundaries. He wasn't going to do something stupid. He didn't allow his other workers to do anything stupid. We know that he led his company well, this barley farmer. He did it so well. He encouraged, and I love this, he encouraged Ruth in her character. How many of you feel so, and don't have to raise your hand, but you feel so built up when somebody encourages you in your character? It's awesome. When somebody encourages you, man, what does it do? It fills your, it fills your gas tank, you know, like your emotional gas tank. We're on E, and a lot of times, well, it's just tough love. Yeah, you know, it's tough love. But when somebody gives you a true, genuine, encouraging word, it brings that gas tank, you know, from E to really to F. It brings it to full. And so he's speaking life into her. Guys, talking to you right now. Guys, we're called to do that to our wives and to our children. We're called to speak life into them. We're called to lay hands and, and pray up for them and pray on them all the time. You know, he prayed that Ruth would flourish. He provided comfort. He provided kindness. He pointed Ruth towards God. The thing I like about Boaz was this. All right, I'm going to pick on the guys one more time. You're like, aren't we in the book of Ruth? This is a book about some Old Testament lady. Why are we picking on the guys? Because the ladies get picked on every Tuesday night. So here's the deal. Boaz was like perfect in this. And some, some of you guys are going to relate, okay? We, some of you and some guys are just oh, really tough, you know? And, and they're tough. They're like the manly man. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, they're, they're like the man, you know, like... I don't know, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, I maybe think about. You know, I don't know. He's, he's really tender, though, deep down inside, okay? So you got, the, you got the tough guy, but then you've got the tender. And sometimes, guys, we're a little too tender. Some of us need to toughen up a little bit. But we can't just be all tender without tough, and we can't just be all tough without tender. We've got to have a nice balance. That, that's what Boaz had. We need that. Because the, the people in our life are looking for us to love them in kindness and compassion but for them to trust us and take care of them when needed to. Can I hear a good amen, ladies? Number three, this story is out of control. Some of your lives are out of control. Every single one of our lives is out of control. Everyone. Here's the deal. In chapter one, there's so many things that happen that are out of control. You know, she is submitting to her husband. 
Elimelech can't control Naomi. Doesn't work. You know? Well, I need my wife to submit to me. That's hogwash if you're going to speak that over your wife, man. That's abuse. That's not, that's not biblical. Okay, submitting means working together and having both interest in mind for each other. Can I hear good amen? Come on, somebody. And so she can't control this. Well, then they go over to Moab because she's submitting. Boaz can't control whether or not she's going to come. They get there, and, you know, they, they have these two sons. She can't control whether they all die or not. She can't control whether Orpah goes back with her. She can't control whether Ruth goes back with her. She can't control when she gets back what's going to happen or take place. She can't even control if she's going to live or die in the desert going from Moab back to Bethlehem. She has no control over this. However, we know there's one that's in full control. There's one that's in full control. Many things in chapter 2 happen to them. They have no control over. They're out of food. They're broke. They have no men in their lives, which you might say, well, that's not that big a deal. In this day and age, they are not virgins, and that's a huge deal for them to cross a border because they would have not been looked at like, oh, man, this is a new you know, woman. that They haven't been with anybody. They would have, it would have been really bad in this culture. I'll just leave it there. And so they could have prostatized themselves. They didn't. They chose to follow this Boaz whom they really didn't know. They end up in his field. That was out of their control. He's kind to Ruth. Ruth finds favor in his eyes. That's out of her control. Boaz told her not to glean from anyone else's field. Come on, man. Love is in the air. If you don't laugh, I will sing more. Love is in the air. I'll even dance. You don't want that. You don't want that. No, come back. It's okay. I'm kidding. Okay, no. She's not taken advantage by the workers there. In fact, we, we read on that Boaz does something crazy. He even says to the workers, he's like, you know what? Leave a little bit of extra out. Like, leave, leave some more grain out for them. I know they're coming. You give to them whatever they need. I want to just take care of them. I want to bless them. What did Ruth do to deserve this? Anything? Nothing. It's completely by the grace of God. Ruth gave up control. She gave up control. And ironically, it's control that was never ours to begin with. Okay? We just think it is. Control is an illusion. It's really an illusion. Ruth chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. May the Lord, this is what Boaz is saying, repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your, in your eyes, my Lord, Ruth said. You've given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of even one of your servant girls. She feels this low on the totem pole. Any of you ever felt that low on the totem pole? Of course you have. Some of you feel that way right now. And God said, I don't look at you that way. I don't care if you're that low on the totem pole or you think you are God's favorite. I'm going to love you the same. That's the God in whom we serve. Out of her control, given to her as a gift, complete gift. You know, arrogance would be to think that we could gain God's grace by things within our grasp and control. That's arrogance. That's arrogance. Well, I just got to do enough. If you got to go to a church where you got to do enough, man, you're going to the wrong church, okay? Things I can control. Here's my list. It's really short. If I'll serve God or not, okay? What I'll eat. Have a nacho bar for lunch, and I can't wait. But I got to watch how many nachos I eat if you catch my drift. I can control that. What I will watch, and I can tell you it's going to be a lot of NFL today, all right? When I'll go to bed, usually. Some of you with young kids are like, ha that's funny. I understand. If I'll be kind to somebody, how I respond to somebody at County Market when they left the church. 
how I'll respond to someone in hurtful situations, how I respond to praise, how I respond to correction, how I view myself, what voices I listen to, my integrity. That's about the extent of my list. Not a lot more I can add to that. Things out of my control, we could be here for the next five hours. I'll just give you a few. How someone will react to correction, how someone will react to praise, how someone will respond to my message, how someone will respond in worship. Worship leader loves when we get into worship, but we can't control that. Worship leader can't control that. How far a leader will lead when somebody will realize they are a leader. How far a dreamer will dream when somebody realizes they are a dreamer. Who moves in and out of our community? I can't control that. How long I get to live. Now, granted, I get to figure out what I eat. That has something to do with it, but I have no idea what tomorrow brings or doesn't bring. If my family loves me, if my extended family loves me, if someone will give their life to Christ after showing evidence or sharing a testimony, or if they'll reject me, if you will take action on what I say on a Sunday morning, if my kids will serve God, I'm going to do everything I can for that one, I'll tell you, but it's out of my control. What I dream about at night, I have no control over. If a spouse leaves you, if a child dies, if you get fired from a job, a lot of those have happened. These are things that have happened in our church in the last month. And the last one here that I just wrote down that I was thinking about, things you can't control, and I love this one's best for last, God's grace. Thank you, God, that we can't control your grace. Ruth left her town, left her culture. She didn't know the Jewish culture at all. She had no idea. She was serving this false god. By the grace that God provides, Boaz came to her rescue. It says this in verse 20. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. That was Ruth. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. Again, we're going to unpack that the next couple weeks. Really, this is what you need to know. He, in essence, saves her life. He comes to save her to the point where it's even more than blood relatives. It's actually by adoption, and they're saying that even means more than by blood right here. And there's a, there's a lot to it, and we'll, we'll unpack that coming up. Last point in this chapter is even a greater position that, um, that Boaz gave Ruth. You know, Boaz basically said, all my farmers go out, they plant the seed, they make the seed grow, they harvest it, and then they go through the, through the rows, and they put, they put all the grain out on either side, for you to pick up and to take and, and even give some of them to their families. Did Ruth ever plant? Did Ruth ever water? Did Ruth ever do anything to earn any of it? Not a darn thing. And basically, he esteemed her to a greatest, greater position. And we read that in the New Testament. The last will be first, the first will be last. That's exactly what's happening right here. It's a shadow of everything to come with Jesus in the New Testament. I'll give you this last scripture. It's in the New Testament. I love it. It says this. I have told you these things, Jesus' words, so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Thanks, Jesus, for the encouraging words. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I'm going to, I have something else I want to share with you just quickly, but I'm going to ask for us to uh, I'm going to close right now for Facebook Live, and if you can stop the podcast, that'd be great. But... This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.